The English Eccentric by E. O. Higgins. In 1765, a distinguished French scholar by the name of Pierre Jean Grosley visited England for the first time and was struck by the level of eccentricity he observed in the natives. Writing home on the subject, he noted that this unusual behaviour he had observed could be attributed to a mixture of fogs, beef and beer, aggravated by the tedium of the English Sunday. The philosopher Bertram Russell once stated, Do not fear to be eccentric in opinion, for every opinion now accepted was once eccentric. But what is eccentricity? Eccentricity is that sort of behaviour in individuals that is considered odd, unusual or quirky. It describes an often unintentional breaking away or dismissal of the social norms, to pursue avenues in life that are often considered beyond normal priorities. The eccentrics we'll meet in this podcast series are often people with corkscrew minds, peculiar obsessions and largely incomprehensible outlooks. They straddle the sexes and all social classes. Some of their stories are famous, but most are unjustifiably obscure. But hopefully, what they all are is worth a listen. Phyllis Peachy, 1909-1994 The Woman That Invented Fanny Johnny and I together, half an hour, invited audience, and we were so scared, John was kicked in the small of the back to get us on, he said, go on, Jolly, you silly bee, you're on. Yeah. And he lurched on television. Fanny Craddock could have been described as a force of nature. And that is certainly one of the politer ways of describing her. With her hollow face, remarkably badly rendered drawn-on eyebrows, and small puckered mouth, she was instantly arresting. Glaring imperiously into the cameras at BBC Television Centre, and clicking her fingers at her terrified assistants, she would manhandle crustaceans whilst cussing foreigners for their lack of culinary prowess. And the British public lapped it up. Fanny's background remains somewhat murky to this day. She was born Phyllis Peachy, or Phyllis Primrose Peachy, either in the London borough of Leytonstone, or possibly in the Channel Islands. As a child, Craddock had lived at Furlop Road with her maternal grandparents. There is a memorial plaque outside a house in Fairwood Court, claiming that this is her birthplace. Though she often disputed this, and, in any case, the plaque misspells her name. When interviewed in later life on the talk show circuit, Craddock usually claimed her father, Archibald Peachy, was a wealthy gambler and an author. Though most modern research suggests that his main job was that of a regularly bankrupt corn merchant. Though it seems he did supplement this income by turning out pulp crime fiction novels in the Garth Marenghi style. Books with titles like Once Upon a Crime and Third Time Unlucky. He married Craddock's mother, Bijou Sautan Hancock, 
1908. By all accounts, Fanny's mother was an extravagant and slightly erratic actress, who habitually began each day with oysters and champagne. Which might go some way to explaining the bankruptcy. When the family could afford it, Fanny was sent to a boarding school in Bournemouth, only to be expelled at the age of 15. She had developed a keen interest in spiritualism and would give Ouija board readings to younger girls, providing them with terrifying nightmares into the bargain. When several of them complained, she was promptly thrown out of the school system. She returned home, whereupon she almost immediately left again eloping with an RAF pilot named Sidney Evans. The marriage, like Evans as it turned out, was short-lived. He was killed in a plane crash in February 1927, leaving Craddock a pregnant teenage widow. Within a year of giving birth to her son Peter, Fanny once again married, this time to a man named Arthur Chapman. To Arthur, Craddock had another son, Christopher, but when he was just four months old, she walked out on them both and ran away to London. Chapman would later infuriate Fanny, as he became a Catholic following her deserting him, and as a consequence he refused to concede to her demands that he divorce her. Not a person that liked to refuse herself things she wanted, Fanny got married again anyway, in September 1939 this time to a British racing driver named Gregory Holden Dye, to whom, it seems, she clean forgot to mention her current marital status to. In any case, her new bigamous marriage only lasted eight weeks, for within a month of her new marriage, she had met the love of her life, a monocle-sporting Royal Artillery Major called Johnny Craddock, who was himself married with four children. Having met Fanny, Johnny immediately ditched his wife and children and moved in with her. She, in turn, quickly changed her surname by deed poll to match his, and together they set up home, doing a fairly good impression of a married couple. Shacked up with Johnny, Fanny first tried to become a children's author, but without any success. However, she got her first book, The Practical Cook, published in 1949, at a time when rationing was still in force and scarcity of certain foods made cooking problematic. Fanny's book, which celebrated foraging and self-sufficiency, contained recipes for rose petal jam and baked hedgehog. It was a huge hit. Following this success, Fanny and Johnny joined the Daily Telegraph's writing team in 1950 and had some notable success writing a cookery column under the name Bon Viveur. And from this they progressed to live cookery demonstrations in theatres, at which Fanny would cook meals for the audiences. In 1955, Fanny was offered the opportunity to record a pilot TV show based on her cookery demonstrations, which proved so successful that the show was immediately greenlit by BBC TV executives. The new primetime show, Kitchen Magic, featured Fanny 
at this stage still billed as Phyllis Craddock, dressed in evening gowns festooned with jewels, molesting some unfortunate birds and snarling at her assistants. Johnny, on the other hand, took up a kind of Dennis Thatcher role. That of a largely sidelined subordinate swaying in the periphery in full evening wear, smiling and with a faraway look in his eyes. It was very much the supporting role to Fanny's star. He would intone dryly about wine when called on to do so by Fanny, taste something and then mutter good-natured blandishments about his wife's cooking, or just occasionally be upbraided for his general uselessness. This, it seems, was what he was best at, for when he did do straight-to-camera presenting, which was infrequent, it generally didn't work out that well. Performing a sign-off for an episode of Kitchen Magic in 1965, Johnny smiled uncomfortably down the lens and told millions of viewers, And I do hope that your donuts turn out like Fanny's. Though viewers assumed that Fanny and Johnny were married throughout their TV career, as did the BBC, fortunately, as living in sin was at that time a sackable offence, it was not until 1977, after Johnny had read the obituary of Fanny's previous husband, Arthur Chapman, that they actually wed. Fanny's many attempts at reinventing herself and her complicated personal history led to some significant confusion at the registry office. On her wedding day, she claimed to be 55, despite the fact that she had a son in his 50s. She seemed to get through most of the legal issues by utilising her special gifts of curtness and intimidation. And, despite not having any of the requisite documents, Fanny got what she wanted. It later transpired that Johnny had been wrong about the obituary, and the Arthur Chapman he had read about had not been Fanny's previous husband after all. And so it was that Fanny entered into her second bigamous marriage, this time by accident. The only person that Fanny wasn't generally unpleasant to was Johnny, though even this was subject to change. Johnny would usually be referred to as Darling and My Love on air, but in more stressful moments he would be dismissed as Craddock and That Silly Old Fool. Just like similarly scary TV chef Gordon Ramsay, Craddock was celebrated for her bad temper and bluntness, though in her case her mood swings were as a result of an addiction to appetite suppressants and mood-enhancing drugs, a daily intake of pills so large that it was known to her inner circle as Fanny's hundreds and thousands. Whereas, it seems, Gordon Ramsay's just a twat. Her poor attitude also led to several legal issues. In 1964, Fanny was charged with careless driving. The arresting officer wrote down in his notes that she was abusive and excited. When the officer asked her to move her Rolls Royce as it was obstructing the flow of traffic, she designated him a uniformed delinquent and promptly reversed into the car behind her. On another occasion, she swerved her roller into an adjacent lane of traffic without warning and caused a collision. 
When the man whose car she'd driven into got out of his vehicle and knocked on her window, she rolled it down and apparently said tersely, How dare you hit my car! And then swiftly drove away. The man gave chase, following her for about 15 miles, until he finally managed to overtake her. Swinging his car around in the middle of the road, he got out and attempted to wave her down. However, Craddock was clearly made of sterner stuff, and rather than stopping the car, she decided to run him over. Not unreasonably, she was prosecuted. Fanny was a woman of many parts. As well as her career as a high-profile TV chef, and her complicated personal history, which fluctuated wildly, she wrote many cookery columns and is credited with introducing the great British public to dishes from France and Italy, popularising pizza and prawn cocktail. She also wrote erotic fiction under the name Frances Dale and spent a lot of her spare time in commune with the dead using her trusty Ouija board. And in fact, she was apparently on intimate terms with the court of Louis XIV. She was also a firm believer in faith healing and reincarnation, and had divined through some mysterious process that she and Johnny had been lovers in Atlantis in their previous lives. Where, naturally enough, Fanny's father had been king. By the early 1970s, Craddock's presentation style had fallen out of fashion, as had much of her culinary expertise. It seemed a bit like the bottom had fallen out of the market when it came to ball gown sporting cooks teaching haute cuisine that typically involved piping bags and vegetable dyes. However, it was Fanny's behaviour on Esther Ranson's live reality TV show The Big Time in 1976 that brought her career at the BBC to an end. Finally, her legendary rudeness got the better of her. The premise of the show was giving average people off the street the opportunity to take on tasks usually reserved for experts. In the episode that Fanny guested on, a farmer's wife from Devon called Gwen Troke had been invited on by Ranson to organise a banquet at London's Dorchester Hotel, which was to be attended by several VIPs including Earl Mountbatten of Burma and the former UK Prime Minister Ted Heath. In the segment that was filmed with Fanny, she was asked to comment on Troke's menu. Clearly not realising that her appearance was intended as little more than a fluff piece to give an amateur cook some encouragement before her big day, Fanny listened with interest to the housewife's choices, all the time mugging furiously to the camera, rolling her eyes and pretending to retch. She went on to inform Mrs Troke that the coffee cream dessert she proposed was too rich. And when the amateur chef looked miserably down at the menu, obviously on the verge of tears. That's what I did for the cook of the realm. Yes, dear, but now you're among professionals. The British public immediately turned on Fanny for her deplorable treatment of Mrs Troke ahead of her special day. Indeed, the Daily Telegraph, stoking the fire somewhat, opined that Not since 1940 have the people of England risen in such unified wrath. 
Unhappy with the resultant wave of terrible publicity that followed Fanny's appearance on the primetime show, the BBC wrote a memo stating that whilst it was permissible for Fanny to chide professional chefs, insulting members of the public was strictly off-limits. As a direct consequence, Craddock was deemed a liability, and her own shows were promptly cancelled. Following the incident, Fanny and Johnny's television work quickly dried up, though some years later they did manage to pick up TV work again, usually in the form of occasional chat show appearances or doing low-level celebrity spots on game shows like The Generation Game and Blankety Blank. Fanny's final public appearance before she died aged 85 in 1994 was on Parkinson alongside Danny LaRue, who was dressed in drag as Shirley Bassey. Fanny had no idea that the woman was actually a man, and when this was pointed out to her by Parky, she was so incensed that in a whirlwind of invective, she stormed out of the studio. Her peculiarly hot-headed response was made all the more sad for LaRue, who had threatened to give her makeup tips. Next on the English Eccentric. The Last Englishman. Psst, over here. Hello, it's E.O. Higgins here. Or Edward, my friend. I'm joking, of course. I don't have any friends. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the English Eccentric and my magnificent brown tones. If you fancied supporting the podcast, there are several ways you can. You can follow it on Facebook and Twitter, at Fogs Beef and Beer. Or you could write a review, wherever you download your podcasts. You can even follow the Patreon, by going to www.englishexcentric.co.uk, where you'll get early access to episodes, exclusive content, and the opportunity to suggest subjects for future shows. And if you didn't like it, you know, don't listen. In next week's episode, we'll be meeting an English serviceman who was sent to the Tower of London for commandeering an aeroplane and attempting to bomb France, who later spent time in a French castle prison on espionage charges, and who once debagged a crooked solicitor and sent pictures of him in his smalls to several tabloid newspapers. Stay tuned!